Welcome, friends, to The Hero Beside Me, the podcast that seeks to explore the professional and private lives of working dogs of all kinds. For thousands of years, humans and canines have shared a special bond and an essential partnership, which continues to grow in importance in our society today. Dogs are helping humans in a myriad of ways, performing essential tasks that only they can perform. The more we learn about them, the more endless their potential seems to be. It is my goal to document the way these amazing animals are making an indelible mark on our world with their astonishing abilities, incredible drive, insatiable zest for life, and unconditional love, which they generously bestow upon their humans. Join me as I explore the wonder of these canine heroes beside us. Welcome back, listeners. Today, I'd like to invite you to listen in on my conversation with Fidel and Dustin, two dog handlers who have served in our military or are currently serving in our military. They give us some insight into what it's like to be a dog handler in the military and also into some of the things that our canine service members accomplish. I started my career as a dog handler, uh, active duty Marine Corps dog handler from 99 to 2003. Did a couple deployments to the Middle East, one to Saudi Arabia and the other to uh, Afghanistan. Prior to that, I actually was, uh, I was active duty during 9-11. So um, when the towers fell, I was sent to New York City days after to provide additional security at Ground Zero when they were building podiums and, and uh, you know, the dignitaries wanted to come look at uh, and see the destruction or the president wanted to do a speech, I was able to go down there, um, sweep Ground Zero for additional secondary devices that were potentially what they were worried about as being placed at Ground Zero. So I went down there, spent about a month in New York City, came back and that's when I started my deployments to the Middle East, to Saudi Arabia first for eight months and then Afghanistan follow on. And then when I got back from there, then I, I separated from the Marine Corps um, after my Afghan deployment. Before you were in the Marine Corps, did you have any experience working with dogs? No, actually I had a, a, a pet Cocker Spaniel that was trained really well. Uh, I don't think I really knew what I was doing at the, at the time, um, but the dog was highly ball motivated, toy motivated. So it made it a little easy to get the dog to do what I wanted it to do and motivate it. And uh, it all worked out in the end and the dog was really well trained. Um, and I really had no idea, it had no intentions of joining the Marine Corps and becoming anything involved in dogs. My route was military police. And I was fortunate enough to go through military police school and able to do the pipeline program. So that's straight from military police, getting selected, being one of very few selected from the military police school and doing follow on school and being a dog handler immediately out of the MP school. So it was, I was fortunate enough to be in that position um, to do that. And I started my career in dogs and never looked back. Awesome. Fidel, tell us about you. My name is Fidel Rodriguez. I started in the Marine Corps, currently stationed at Yuma Proving Grounds, Yuma, Arizona. Uh, where I was a course chief for a course that catered to the uh, deploying canine units throughout the uh, Marine Corps. Recently, we have gone through a sundown, meaning that we had to dismantle that entire course. It's just needs of the Marine Corps, uh, Marine Corps shifting in a different direction and for the better. Can you tell us what course you're talking about? The military working dog, 
uh, team deployment training course. Basically what we do there is we cater to all three battalions, uh, law enforcement battalions in the Marine Corps. And Marines will come to us, usually about three each. So we're looking at about nine Marines, uh, nine dogs, they'll come to our course. And we'll basically prepare them for really whatever theater they're gonna go into. Uh, we try our hardest to cater our course and our scenarios to those theaters. We try to mimic after actions, uh, lessons learned, stories you know that are being pushed back to us, and really just try to recreate a better training scenario for those Marines. Try to have them see and experience during training for the first time. Um, that way they're not experiencing it in theater for the first time. I've been in the Marine Corps for about 11 years now, and like Mr. Wynn, I had no idea I was gonna be a dog handler. I had no idea I was gonna be training dogs this long. I pretty much came across the military police MOS. I took it and during that school, they uh, offered up the uh, 5812 MOS, which is a dog handler course. And um, I accepted it. I passed the board that we had to stand for it. Basically just answer questions, uh, first class physical fitness tests, combat fitness tests, things like that. And then from there, I went over to Lachlan Air Force Base where our school was held uh, for the military working dog handlers. I graduated that, went to Okinawa for two years where I was a military police on the road with a canine. It was just your standard military police canine unit. After those two years, I went over to Camp Pendleton where I became a specialized search dog handler and a uh, combat tracking dog handler. Basically, two different aspects in the, in the field. One is all off-leash capability explosive detection dogs, single purpose. And then the other for tracking is just your single purpose tracking dog. After that, I took the uh, offer to go over to MARSOC, the Marine Special Operations Command, where I went to pursue the uh, multi-purpose canine field. I was there for five, about five and a half years. And uh, then I ended up as the uh, course chief at Yuma Proving Grounds. And so you two know each other from the Marine Corps? We do. I, I met Dustin when we first stood up the, uh, the West Coast Kennels on uh, Camp Pendleton here with uh, MARSOC. Yep, so when I, when I got brought in, uh, Fidel was, was one of the brand new handlers. He was one of the first handlers we ran through our course, um, what we call the advanced course. All of our handlers come from the 5811 uh, field, which is the MP field. Um, we select these guys, they, they go to a basic course that we subcontract out. Um, they complete the basic course and then we put on an advanced course for these handlers. Fidel uh, was actually one of the first courses that we ran. So he was put through the ringer first um, on, on what we did. And it's really developed um, from that. We learned a lot of lessons on that and developed the program into what it is today, um, which is a two, two month long program. You know, the, the handlers, when they, by the time they graduate our course are swimming 2000 meters open water with the dog next to them. It's very intense. Uh, it's laboring for these guys. It's two months of, of pure, uh, submersion in dog training and tactics and and everything you can throw at these guys as, as far as scenario goes so that when they do get to the team they're well prepared for everything that they're going to see going forward what kind of characteristics do you look for or did you look for in your job in the marine corps when it comes to choosing or giving that mos to a, a person who wanted to be a handler how did you pick who was going to get to be a handler so specifically for us when, when we go and look for the handlers picking from the 5811 field um, which are, they could have prior dog knowledge or no dog knowledge at all But when we select them. So having prior dog experience is not required to come to, the, to our program. What we get to do is we get to go and select from a bigger pool of people and I'm looking for confident, I'm looking for taking the initiative kind of people. And if I can find guys that are, I guess the best word to say is mature, 
right? I want a very well adapted, mature guy um, that takes the initiative, that, that goes the extra mile, that is physically fit and physically sound, but more mentally sound than anything. I need a guy that's ready to, to always go get it and, uh, and always want to chase being better. Because if I get a guy that's good at being just mediocre, then that's not what we need. The, the program doesn't succeed and the, and, the, and the dog and the handler as a team do not succeed. So mature and, and driven people are what we're looking for. And then how do you choose the dogs? Like what, do you, what kind of characteristics does a dog need to have to do this job? So first and foremost, um, we're looking for multi-purpose, right? So you're, you're getting a dog that bites, you're getting a dog that tracks, and you're getting a dog that finds explosives or wants to hunt explosives. So we're looking for hunt drive. We're looking for a tremendous amount of prey drive in a dog. Resilience is a, is a huge thing. With that, you get, a, you get a dog that is very hard to find. What I say a one in a hundred dog, but one in more like one in a thousand dog. Uh, because what we're doing is we're getting a group of dogs that are already pre-selected in that hundred field. And of those hundred dogs, maybe one of those dogs matches what I'm looking for in a multi-purpose canine. When you start talking about environmentals, right? Environmentals are the dog being exposed to gunfire, the dog being exposed to high you know, helicopters. These dogs are in loud noises all the time. Um, so they have to be environmentally sound. That's a requirement for us. How do you find them? Well, they're, they're pre-selected and, and Fidel knows the, the game really well. They're pre-selected. We go out at, to the contractor and then we test them, right? I want to see stability. I want to see the bite. I want to see their hunt drive. Some of the dogs have been pre-trained on explosives. I want to see their hunt for explosives. I want to see that dog bite and I want to see that dog bite in awkward situations, up off the ground, on stairways, dark areas, um, you know, slick surfaces, all things. If we do that, um, and we test it like that way, we can get a pretty good idea. And then we can get in a fight drive and things that the dog is gonna show me that it's confident enough to bite and fight a human being. Um, because that's, that's a big thing for us. I want that dog to be able to go into a room by itself and handle business when it needs to. And that's what it means. So it's a confident, independent dog. And to touch on that a little bit more is when they select those dogs, those dogs are very young, usually about one year old. So th the work isn't done there. Once the dog comes over to us, Dustin trains us on how to train that dog and then from there, we have to build that confidence in that dog because if that dog cannot withstand all the training that we put that dog and ask that dog to do, then it turn, might, may turn out that that's not the right dog for the program. So the contractors are private breeders or they're... No, they, they import. So what, what we get are imported dogs, uh, typically, not all the time, but most of the dogs are imported from overseas. They go over, they pre-select these dogs, they get them back to their vendor location. And what they do at that point is weed out the dogs they think are gonna be good selection for us. And knowing our capabilities, knowing what we use that asset for, they pre-select, we go out and we select out of the, the ones that they set aside for us, we pick the amount of dogs that we need um, for each course or each class. I have heard that dogs are imported from overseas and I've always wondered why. Over there, it's a high dollar business. It's really more focused towards that. Raising puppies is, it's expensive. Um, it's time consuming, it's laboring. There's a lot of things that go into it. And then you start talking about breeding the right lines together or the right, you know, the genetics of everything. It can be overwhelming if you're not adapt to it. And what we get overseas is we get individuals that are, are master breeders of dogs that really know what they're looking for, genetically speaking and line speaking. Um, so what you get are just well-bred genetic mentally focused dogs that are well suited for the business that we, we're in. And what types of breed do you normally use are Belgian Malinois and German Shepherds? Yeah, that's usually what we go for. Um, we have run into a circumstance where we have a, uh, a crossbreed between a Mal and a Shepherd, and uh, they're actually amazing dogs. 
um, you kind of get best of both worlds. Here at the West Coast, we traditionally try to stick to, you know, a smaller dog, just, you know, the things that we did in the water and stuff like that. It's pretty awesome just having a small little monster running after, you know, an individual, having all that energy, getting tired, exhausted, and then coming back right for more, you know? Um, it's almost like they run out of energy, but then they don't. It's, it's like a... It's like a trick that they like to play on us, but um, they're awesome dogs. They're awesome. You have worked with a dog, a, a single-purpose tracking dog, a single-purpose explosive dog, and then a multi-purpose Yes. So can you give us a quick summary of what a day in the life of each of those is like? A single-purpose explosive dog. I had a lab at one point, and then I had a Malinois at one point. And those two, those two breeds were, I mean, complete opposites, you know? Um, the lab was awesome. It was uh, just going out, playing with my dog, essentially. Um, then my Mal was more like a fight. And it was like a really bad relationship at one point. <laughs> but, you know, working the two, it's not easy, but it's a little easier than a, a multi-purpose canine. You know, you're focused on just one, one aspect of the, of the job, um, getting the dog to be really, really, really proficient at, at detecting explosives. And then the other side, getting a dog to be really, really proficient at just tracking uh, human odor, you know? And then you get to the multi-purpose canine side, and if you're not, you know, paying attention to, to each capability and ensuring that they're all at the same level, if not, you know, at some, you know, solid base point, um, then it could, it could become overwhelming. It is easy when you have a team that kind of specifies what they want. Um, and then at that point, you can cater your capability to that team to meet their needs and uh, the needs of the AO or the uh, area of operation. The multi-purpose canine, their task is to learn the uh, tracking trait, explosives, and uh, patrol side, which is your attack work. And um, yeah, it's all three in one dog. And then you cater each one um, to you know your team or the mission um, or whatever area you're operating in. Uh, the mornings would start pretty early especially in the summertime, you know, you're probably waking up at four or five in the morning, exercising your dog, putting your dog up for a couple hours and feeding your dog, bringing your dog back out, putting it in the break yard. And then that's just probably about four hours of your morning, five hours of your morning. Now you're going out to your training lane, setting up your explosives, maybe setting up a person for a track or maybe setting up a person for, uh, you know, some bite work. Once that's all said and done, come back, get your dog, gear your dog up, gear yourself up, load your truck, go to your training area and start performing your tasks, whichever one you know you got set up first. And like I said, you gotta make sure that you're keeping each one balanced because one could always override the other, you know? Trying to keep all three in line. It definitely gets overwhelming, but once you get in a groove of things, it's, it's just routine, routine. And then um, the end of the day, put the dog up, and yeah, it's just, uh, you know, making sure you annotate everything, record everything. What did the dog do during, you know, track, explosive detection or patrol side deficiencies, corrections, things like that. So you're looking, you're looking at some long days, some long days. It's a lot of recording, a lot of rehearsals for sure, because you definitely don't want to take any steps back with a dog like that. Um, really no dog you want to take steps back, but. Yeah, you're just trying to keep track of it all. When you're deployed with your dog, what does it feel like when you have to go, not just go and do what you actually practice doing? And there's real lives at stake. Well, it's hectic. Yeah, it really is because, you know, as a dog handler, you know, you don't just have your dog handling responsibilities. You got responsibilities to the team. 
you got responsibilities to whoever you're working with and really just responsibilities to wherever you're at. And uh, you have to ensure that everything is met. On the other side, you have to ensure that you are there conducting your job. You know, and my job is to provide my team or whatever unit I'm with, with the best possible canine asset there is. So it's a lot of individual training that I have to do, a lot of coordination that I have to do. And it's, I have no one to rely on but myself. So yeah, it's definitely hectic. It's definitely hectic because on deployment, you're tired. You are, you are just jammed with so much responsibility and so many duties that you might hit a bump. You might hit a road bump on deployment and it's almost the most depressing thing you ever you ever encounter because then it's like, oh man, why is he having this deficiency right now, you know? During those times is when you have to just really calm down, put the dog up, go back to the chalkboard, rehearse a little bit, really, really identify what you need to do with that dog in that training area, uh, in those scenarios, and then just keep doing it. Keep doing it until the dog figures it out. Uh, most importantly, figure out what your dog is having trouble with. Um, yeah, but it's it's definitely hectic. It seems like for military personnel and law enforcement on the domestic side and disaster search dogs and avalanche search dogs, all that kind of thing. When the dog, you're deploying the dog and you know that the dog's life is, risk, is at risk. I mean, there, it seems like there would be this emotional tension there because you have a bond with the dog and you don't want it anything to happen to it. But at the same time, its job is to protect people. So how do you work through that? Yeah, you have to work through it, you know? Um, I mean, I, as the uh, course chief of, of a uh, pre-deployment course and having to teach young Marines, you know, that you have to find, you have to find a, a medium between that. Yeah, it's your dog and you definitely build a bond, but that dog is there to serve a purpose, you know? Uh, at the end of the day, and once again, I hate saying it, but it's the ugly truth, it's better them than us. Um, so, I mean, if you gotta, your dog goes down doing something, but you were doing your job, then, you know, that's that's just, a, that's a job, you know? That's a job. Uh, it's the same thing for an infantryman, you know, a, a MARSOC operator, um, really anybody that's out there during combat is uh you know if you that's your job you're there you know you there's no there's no escaping those hazards um you can take all the uh you can take all the uh, measures you want but at the end of the day you know as long as you're doing your job as long as you're doing your job and you accept it um and you ensure that you're doing your job to the best of your ability that's all you can ask for makes dogs so special? I mean, our, our bond, I think it's a, it's just that bond we, we have with them and, and they're always there for us. They're, they're the lo most loyal creature that we know. And when you have that and you bond with a, with a handler and that dog is there to save a life or lives of the team, that bond is deeper than anything that you can ever imagine. These handlers are all dog people, right? And most of the guys on the teams they operate with are dog people as well. And you just get that, that connection, that dog is part of the team. 
and the dog is bonded to the team, it's part of the pack, right? The pack mentality. And when you get that, you get a dog that's well bonded with a team, it's a beautiful thing. It is awesome. I want to talk about some of the specialty things they have to do. So you mentioned at the very beginning of in your course that you might have to swim a really long time. Can you expound on all the details of that kind of thing? Yeah, so within certain units, um, and I won't be specific on those units, but um, they're amphibious-based. With any amphibious-based unit um, or with that capability, the, the canine, the dog, uh, must also be amphibious-trained. And with that, it's distance, exposure to water, distance in the water, being able to helocast, getting out of a helicopter into the water with the, the handler and getting exposure to that. So we train in the pool a lot. We do a lot of pool work initially, and then we'll go to some smaller bodies of water. And then we do most of our open water swims, our qualification swims in the open water, in the ocean. And that's at a greater distance, uh, right around 2000 meters is what we get um, open water swims. Some will be with an OTB, which is a bag we use to float the dog for long distance swims. Anything more than 2000 meters, you'll have that bag with you. But we're, what we're talking about and we're training the dog for is a long distance insert, water-based insert onto a beach or something like that. And that takes a lot of patience, a lot of training. And we do courses that are specifically designed to get the dog integrated into an amphibious team, you know, being passed off in the water, riding on Zodiac, some of the boats that are within uh, the military application. These dogs are exposed to those boats as well. The helocast is a little bit different. I think we, we touched a little bit on a kind of a misconception. A lot of times when people see a video or a picture of a dog casting into the water and the way that we're holding the dog, it's the safest means of doing that. It really is. And we want to make sure the dog's protected. We want to make sure the dog's taken care of and they're very well taken care of. We've perfected our technique to make sure that when we do something that is dangerous, any way you slice it, that the dog is protected at all costs. In our business, everything we do is, is dangerous. So we try to keep the dog protected the best that we can. What other special things do they have to do? So you're talking about any kind of insert. So they have to be able to uh, repel with us. They have to be able to fast rope insert with us. They need to um, get hoisted. Uh, and what that means is going from either ground up to the top deck or up a window or, or through a window and out a window down to the bottom floor. So there's a lot of things these dogs are exposed to heights and different platforms. I mean, you name it, anything that they would be exposed to in, in the team has to be used and applied during training. Or if it's the first time the dog sees it, when they're with the team or, or they're doing an actual operation, um, it's not gonna be a good thing. So we try to cover all our bases, you know, homemade explosive courses, making sure the dogs are imprinted on homemade explosives. You know, you got TATP and some of the peroxide based explosives out there that are important for our dogs to be exposed to and make sure that they are indicating properly on those explosives so that when we do go down range, that there's no doubt in the handler's mind this dog is ready to rock and roll and find bombs because that's what's killing people. The majority of, of what we're dealing with right now, previous uh, in all the engagements that we've had, aside from gunfire, but explosive devices, improvised explosive devices. And if we have a dog that is, is well adapted to uh, finding those explosives, then it helps us out in the long run. Everybody, everybody's safe that way. Is there anything either of you think is generally perceived in the general public that it's mythical or incorrect or inaccurate or anything you, you wish, if you could give a message to the masses about these dogs, what would you say? Really, just we're scratching the surface. We've gotten to a point where, I mean, we're asking a lot of these dogs and these dogs are completing and accomplishing all sorts of things um, in all sorts of scenarios. But we are just scratching the surface. There's a lot more that these dogs can do. 
Um, new technology is allowing these dogs to be a little bit more capable in the, you know, the evolving theaters. And we're figuring it out. We're figuring it out. Um, we just gotta push them a little more, ask a little bit more of them, and uh, give them a little bit more attention. I think, you know, I mean, as well as these dogs are cared for, they, they, are, they have top-notch care. Handlers are with these dogs. I mean, I, I'd say 24-7, um, the dogs do get some rest. They get about eight hours of sleep, just like we do, and they get peace and quiet in their kennel. They get to relax, and then when the handler shows up, they, they go right to work. We do PT, probably some of the most well-physically trained dogs you're ever going to find. Um, you're talking about, you know, going on runs with the handlers or rucks, but additionally, they get time in the treadmill to really build and boost their stamina and endurance, which helps us. So in the veterinary care we get is, is second to none. It's world-class vet care. So the dogs are well taken care of, um, and the handlers spend a lot of time with these dogs. And I guess if, if that's what I'd want one person to know or anybody to know, it's how well these dogs are taken care of. Do they get any sort of retirement benefit? They do not. The handler takes care of that, um, but the handlers don't mind. That's nothing. That's absolutely nothing they care about. If you said that they would have to pay, you know, to, to take the dog with, most of these handlers would pay to take the dog with them. That goes without saying. I don't even need to say that. But yeah, no retirement plan. Um, a lot of times, there's agencies and foundations out there that are willing to help with dogs that have medical needs, you know, that are maybe above the the handler's capability at that point. But certainly, there's foundations that you can go to to seek additional care um, services for the dog. But Bottom line is these dogs are, are definitely, when they retire, the handler takes full responsibility of that dog. They retired as a child service member in any, every other fashion? Correct. Yep. Sometimes with medals and honors. If you're in a place where you're only eating MREs, what do the dogs eat? Yeah, they're eating right there with you. Yeah, it's, and a lot of times the handlers will ration dog food as well and take dog food with them. So they'll, they'll make sure they have separation of dog food. That's a handler's responsibility to care for that animal. Not only the, the physical um, care, but the mental care of that animal as well is, is all the handler's responsibility. So packing food for the dog is the handler's responsibility. Like a vet and a trainer and a caretaker. That's, that's a real thing. I mean, these, these guys, and these guys, uh, a lot of the handlers at a, at a higher level are trained, medically speaking, um, as like a vet tech, almost at a vet tech level. Um, they can run IVs, they can handle, you know, minor issues with the dog, and even a, a, a trauma with a dog, they can stabilize, um, you know, a dog gets shot and it's got some kind of, uh, um, you know, sucking chest wound. They can, they can apply the, the proper measures to make sure that they keep that dog alive. It's amazing. It's like your partner and your weapon. All in one. What have you learned by working with these dogs? Um, shoot a lot, really. I mean, Every dog has their own, you know, their own personality. Um, dog handlers, dog trainers, they have to be able to adjust their personality, you know? Um, so you're, you're kind of, you're kind of just up in the winds, just trying to figure out what dogs are trying to do, what they want, um, trying to figure out how to get them to do things. Um, it's very, it's a very humbling experience, very humbling experience, but rewarding. Um, so kind of going into like the whole bond thing is you keep in mind we are teaching these very young animals to mature to mature with you in a very very high risk occupation and then we're watching them actually conduct everything that you've taught them in real life scenarios or real life operations um, so it's a very proud moment very scary moment um yeah i mean i'd be lying if i said i wasn't nervous every time i sent him out to do something um, but he did, he did, he was successful. We 
were successful. Um, I like to think that uh, the men and women that we served with uh, appreciated his work. Can you talk about the morale that the dog brings to a team? Yeah, so just like, just like me and Nero, and me watching Nero grow, the team is also watching us grow. They're watching us grow. We come to the team as a, as a new individual, a new dog. Um, we're strangers to the entire group. And uh, they get to watch this dog, you know, be given commands. I'm learning a lot from the individuals that I'm working with. They want to see something, you know, I'm going to, not always going to go to no, I'm all, not always going to go to yes, but I'm going to be an open-minded individual. Um, and I'm going to try and teach Nero what these guys want to see. And yeah, the guys see that and they build a bond and trust in the dog. And we start doing, you know, very, very complex scenarios. And they see Nero out there finding devices, biting people, finding people, um, getting us from point A to point B where there is, you know, another person there. And uh, it's mission accomplishment, you know, it just builds that, builds that confidence in, in the asset. It's almost like a family, you know, it's, really it is just one big family. And um, I'm not selfish. He's not just my dog. You know, he's our dog. We all put the hard work into him because uh, we all take the time to actually give him the attention that he needs uh, to complete the, uh, the occupation. He gets satisfaction from doing the work? Yeah, absolutely. Just like Dustin was saying, the uh, pack mentality, these dogs, Nero gets excited when I cheer for him, but when he gets the entire squad cheering for him, he goes nuts. He goes berserk. He's on a bite, and he sees, you know, his he sees his, uh, his teammates coming to support him. He's going to bite a little harder, you know. He's going to thrash a little harder, a little more, um, just be a little bit more vicious with really anything he's doing. What's your favorite part of the job? Favorite part of the job, watching my dog do what I tell him to do, teach him to do, ask him to do, day in, day out. And, I mean, he's doing it. You know, watching him, watching him do it on his own, um, watching him conduct all all of my teachings and real operations. Um, yeah, that's gonna be my favorite part. It's a, it's a it's a proud moment for sure. So I'm still a civilian dog trainer, uh, master trainer for um, the Department of Defense. So that's my day job. On the side, I run a, a dog training business um, for pets and working dogs and police dogs. It's uh, North County Canine Training, and it's based out of Fallbrook, California. And we handle everything from pet dogs all the way up to working dogs. Bite work, scent detection, obedience, basic and advanced obedience. Um, and it gives me kind of a separation from you know the military dogs. I get to deal with pet dogs as well, which is very rewarding. So if somebody was interested in working with you, how would they get in touch? So you can reach us on, on uh, the website at www.northcountycanine.com. Um, and that'll give you the links to uh, all of our phone numbers, uh, email, everything like that. Look us up, we'd love to help you out. Well, Fidel and Dustin, thank you guys for being on the show. Thank you for having us. Yes, thanks. I would like to extend my sincere gratitude to Dustin and Fidel for being guests on the show today and for serving our country. 
I'd also like to extend the same thanks to their comrades and callers who have also sacrificed much for our country. As I mentioned earlier, I'm your host, Shauna T. I'm a professional photographer, and I'm currently working on a photography project about working dogs. If you would like information about this project, please visit herobeside.me and sign up for the newsletter. Again, that's herobeside.me. Thanks so much. See you next time.